Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The views expressed on the following program are not necessarily the views of WIBA, its management, sponsors, or staff. Broadcasting live from Planet Madison, where everything is beyond parody. This is The Vicki McKenna Show. To be a part of the program, in Madison, call 321-1310. Statewide, call toll-free at 877-235-1310. Or email vicky at wiba.com. Now, here's Vicki McKenna. Good afternoon. Welcome to the program. I must say, I've, I've got Fox News on in the studio here, and I'm just completely distracted and fascinated by the hurricane hunters who are flying into the storm. I just think that's wild and cool. Welcome to the program. I'm Vicki McKenna. Hurricane Florence now a Category 3. You know what causes the hurricanes, Dave? Donald Trump. Yeah. Trump is the reason that we have Hurricane Florence. I, he's that powerful. He can conjure hurricanes. That's presumably what the, the politicians, this is how it's stupid. Things have gotten so beyond stupid that, that, you know, because midterm elections are around the corner and because the Democrats are willing to say, I think, literally anything to get elected. They're blaming Hurricane Florence on on Trump. So why are they blaming Hurricane Florence on, uh, Florence on Trump? <sighs> Let me try to explain what is the inexplicable. Um, Donald Trump got us out of the Paris Climate Treaty, which would have had no discernible impact whatsoever on climate. The Paris Climate Treaty was all about us taking our economic resources and giving it to other countries. Now, I don't know what that has to do with hurricanes, but so that's one of the things. Um, the climate treaty, which wasn't even a treaty, the climate accord, we didn't vote on it, was just a way, it was just a way to begin the process of global wealth redistribution at a macro level. That's all it was. And the second way Donald Trump presumably is the reason why there's a hurricane Florence. Like, I mean, are they going to give him credit for going from a Category 4 to a Category 3 before it made landfall? I mean, that's a substantial improvement. Um, is because he hired Scott Pruitt as the EPA administrator. And now, of course, Andrew Wheeler is the EPA administrator because they hounded Scott Pruitt out of his job. So now, so it was Scott Pruitt to, to Wheeler, and Wheeler and Pruitt together worked to make the science and the data that the EPA used 
to craft environmental regulations public. There you go. And that is why Donald Trump is responsible for Hurricane Florence. Yes. Because we don't have secret science anymore that's bought and paid for by people who are getting money from Tom Steyer. Because you get to actually see the data that is used to generate all of the environmental regulations. And because the president recognized the futility of just a global socialism program masquerading as some kind of climate accord. That's why we have Hurricane Florence. Not kidding. We're going to talk to Mark Morano from Climate Depot about this. They really are saying this. The Washington Post has said this. Multiple Democrats running for office have said this. Weather now has become condemnation of Donald Trump hiring two people at EPA and getting us out of what amounts to a socialistic type tithing to the church of climate change that would have done exactly nothing to alter the concentration of CO2 or other greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. I do wonder how since we have been, if, if in fact CO2 is the ticket... Isn't it the ticket? It's the ticket, right? Since we have been reducing the amount of greenhouse gases that we have been emitting as a first world, highly industrialized country for the past 25 years, yes, we are actually lower in our carbon dioxide emissions than we were in 1997. How come there's still hurricanes and it's Donald Trump's fault? Anyway, we'll get to all of that coming up on the program. Also on the program, the lies that Peter Strzok's attorney is telling about the media leak strategy. We'll get to that coming up on the program. Lots more ahead. I'll be right back. Hey, welcome back to the program. All right, we'll start with... The latest in the ever deeper rabbit hole we go down as we try to figure out, you know, what the hell with the Mueller investigation. Um, the latest is the, the information that we now have that Peter Strzok and his mistress and co-worker Lisa Page um, we're exchanging text messages about an FBI media leak strategy. That's This is the latest. Um, as you read through the text messages, it becomes quite clear that the phrase media leak strategy is about leaking information to the media. Uh, today, Strzok's attorney and yesterday, Strzok's attorney said, no, 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 no. It's not about leaking information to the media. It's about stopping the leaking of information to the media. But if you actually read through these texts, that's not what it's about. I've got Hans von Spakovsky, who is one of the handful of people who writes really easy to understand articles about this somewhat complicated story from the Heritage Foundation to talk about this. So let's start with a contention, Hans, that Strzok's attorney is making that, no, 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 you've just got it all wrong. This was about coordinating how to stop the leaks to the press about the investigation. 
Well, that's a ridiculous claim, uh, and you can see it from the specific texts that are, that are at issue. And, and this, it's, it's actually pretty easy to see because it's so chronologically close. I mean, here's what, here's what we found out. On April 10th, Strzok sends a text to uh, his former mistress and FBI agent, Lisa Page, saying he wants to talk to her about, quote, a media leak strategy with DOJ. The very next day, the Washington Post breaks the story that the FBI had gotten a, an electronic surveillance warrant from the FISA court that they used to eavesdrop on the Trump campaign, and they, they got it based on saying that Carter Page, who had been an advisor to the campaign, uh, was, quote, acting as an agent of a foreign power. And it was that story that basically helped start the media storm about supposed uh, Trump uh, campaign collusion with the Russians. The day, next day after that, so the first text is on the 10th of April. The Washington Post story is on the 11th. On the 12th, Strzok sends another text message to Lisa Page referring to two derogatory articles about Page, including the Washington Post story, and congratulates Lisa Page for, quote, a job well done. <laughs> so, so... It, it's pretty clear to me that they weren't trying to stop a leak, but I suspect that um, one or 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 both of them were the source for the leak. Exactly. So media leak strategy was let's get together and talk about how we're going to leak information that could be damaging to Trump by suggesting that there was some kind of Russian interference and that his campaign people were part of it. Carter Page, we should point out, has never been charged, arrested, or right. and there is no... There, nobody on the planet thinks anything's going to happen to Carter Page. Yeah, and that's really important because the heart, the heart of the issue here, besides, you know, whether the Trump collusion investigation should ever even got started, the, the heart of this is whether or not the FISA statute was abused. Look, the the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. Look, that's an important law. I mean, it's 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 what our uh, intelligence agencies, the FBI, use to try to stop espionage in the United States. And that's why they set up this whole system of this secret court to approve applications from the FBI and DOJ to secretly um, surveil uh, uh, intelligence agents. There's the provision of the law, <clears throat> it's directed at foreigners, foreign intelligence agents. If you want to surveil an American in secret, which is a very big deal under a Fourth Amendment, the the statute says the FBI has to certify under oath that the American is the agent of a foreign power. And that's, of course, what they did in this case. And yet, a year and a half later, Carter Page has never been charged with espionage. He's never been charged with being a, the, the uh, agent of a foreign power. In fact, he's never been charged with anything. And, and where did the accusation that Carter Page was an agent of a foreign power come from but the Steele dossier? The Steele right. dossier, of course, bought and paid for by Hillary Clinton's campaign, funneled in, in a likely campaign via, uh, campaign finance violation through her fixer law firm, Perkins Coy, um, and and... and and it was actually partially paid for by the FBI, as we found out later, 
All of this comes from the Steele dossier. And so, you know, what, what the Democrats keep hoping is that we don't tie everything to the Steele dossier. But the more information that comes out, Hans, the more obvious it becomes that this one third, fourth, fifth hand dossier sourced from anonymous Russians through a guy who the FBI itself fired for for leaking information and lying about it. This appears to be the entire basis for the claim of Russian collusion and the argument for Mueller in the first place. Yeah, unfortunately, you may be right. Now, now the other thing that came out, and this hasn't gotten talked a, a lot about, but to me it's just as, as significant, or if not more so, and that is that uh, Representative Meadows, who sent his letter to the Justice Department, also says that they've got evidence that Andrew Weissman also participated in unauthorized conversations with the media during the same time period as did other senior officials of the FBI and DOJ. The reason that's significant is, that, well, who is Andrew Weissman? Well, he's the number two guy, the senior deputy to Robert Mueller in the special counsel investigation. So that brings up this whole issue of why was Andrew Weissman uh, uh, meeting with the media? Who authorized him? What kind of confidential information did he give to the media? There's been no explanation from Mueller's office about any of this, and that it's really important um, that he deal with this and let us know whether or not um, these meetings occurred, what happened, and do they indicate that um, he's biased? And yeah. shouldn't be taking part in this investigation. Exactly. Andrew Weissman, who already raised eyebrows because Andrew Weissman um, has has played fast and loose with the rules as a prosecutor in the past, having some of his convictions overturned based on charging people for crimes that didn't even exist in statute. That Andrew right. Weissman. That's the Andrew Weissman we're talking about here. Sidney Powell's been on my program talking about this guy. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Was picked as Mueller's right hand picked as Mueller's right hand guy. And now we find out he apparently um, is implicated in this media leak strategy. Um, and also uh, we have indications that he was highly partisan, that he was he was tremendously anti-Trump. He was that he had expressed some some great distress at Trump having been elected. So 
Again, based on presumably the Steele dossier, um, and this is information that was never corroborated, never verified by the FBI, just apparently taken on faith and presented and sworn to, you know, its, its authority sworn to in a FISA warrant to at least surveil Carter Page, potentially other people. We also have the Papadopoulos thing, which is on the side here. George Papadopoulos appears to have been the victim of a setup, an almost entrapment operation to try to get him, I guess, hammered drunk to claim he had information about Russians that had information about Hillary Clinton. Um, gets two weeks of a sentence, not for not not for anything about, you know, having dirt on Hillary Clinton, but for misremembering a timeline as he was being interviewed by the FBI. Right. So. So all of this, uh, all of the media attention to Papadopoulos and all the things he was saying, and he gets a two-week vacation in in uh, a federal prison. <laughs> two weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks not based on nothing, none of this cloak-and-dagger stuff, even though we also have information that it looks like the FBI planted a mole, <laughs> a spy in the Trump campaign to try to find someone, didn't matter who, apparently, because because George Papadopoulos was a nobody. He was a nobody. And and so the best they got on that, and, and I don't know how many resources were expended on trying to entrap George Papadopoulos, but probably a whole lot more than, than you know, they, they were expecting to, they were probably expecting to get a whole lot more for it than just two weeks on something that was what amounted to a process violation. Yeah, and you know, in the midst of all of this, um, I, I don't seem to recall hearing that the Justice Department is uh, uh, is is investigating the Hillary campaign and their law firm for misreporting uh, and not properly reporting the money they were paying for this political opposition research, which Hillary which Clinton a, which, called it. Hillary Hillary Clinton called it political opposition research. It's it's I mean, it was not disclosed. And now it was now political opposition research unverified, unverified and to this day, unverified because it's unverifiable, Hans. It's important to know it's unverifiable because the sources are Russian and they're anonymous and Steele himself, Christopher Steele himself, because people he had essentially um racked up, um, you know, it, it, su- suggesting they were, you know, they were agents of Russia sued him. And in court in the U.K. said, I can't verify any of this. This was just a working document. This was supposed to be verified by other people. This is just stuff I heard. He admits it's unverifiable because he was talking about hearsay information that he was sometimes getting three and four times removed. Yeah, and, you know, he was forced into making those admissions because um, the libel laws, <laughs> the libel laws in uh the United Kingdom are much tougher than than ours. Um, uh, it, it's it's much harder to get away with libel in the United Kingdom. It's much easier to get away with it in the United States. So, Hans, the question is: this this whole investigation it, it appears to be based on a lie that was done that was and it was a lie for political purposes. Um, we have we have partisans at the at the least perhaps corrupt actors at the worst operating within the DOJ and the FBI. Um, we don't have there's zero proof, there's zero evidence, there's even at this point anybody can even make an argument about Russian collusion. Um, the, yet the Mueller investigation just churns along, it just keeps chugging along. Rosenstein's not not reining it in. Nobody 
Cody's reining it in. That is unfortunately true, and uh, given the history of Robert Mueller uh, and the history of his number two guy, and Andrew Weissman, um, I don't. I, I, I unfortunately don't think they're going to do the right thing, which is finally end the investigation and say, uh, "Well, yeah, we did spend a lot of money, but there's nothing to this." I, I think, I think they are driven to uh, coming up with some report that will make all kinds of charges and allegations that they can't prove but will justify yeah. them having been in existence. It will all be based it will all be suggestive. It yeah. won't be conclusive, it will be suggestive. But we it doesn't appear that we're anywhere closer to a report or is the report going to be the October surprise? Well, that's what a lot of people are speculating about. I have no idea whether that's going to that's going to happen or not, but if it is, if he comes out with the report in October, uh it's going to be difficult to come to any conclusion other than that he wants to affect the election. Yeah, and that's the thing. Um and who wants to participate in politics after this? You know? I mean, think about that. Who who wants to support conservative causes? Listen, we've got the IRS investigation teed up by Obama. We've got the Mueller investigation, spying on a president, listening in on phone conversations he had with the president of Australia. You know, so you're spying on people. You're going to a court and lying, a secret court and lying to get surveillance, uh, you know, information, get surveillance authority. Then look at Wisconsin. You got the John Doe in Wisconsin designed to do the exact same thing. I mean, this is penalty for supporting the wrong team. Yeah, and it makes us look like we're descending into being a third-world banana republic. Yeah. Hans von Spakovsky, please read his latest. I have linked it up to Facebook and Twitter, but if you'd like to just bypass the social media, it's dailysignal.com, and you can link to it from the front page. Thank you, Hans. Thanks, Vicki. Good to have you. We'll be right back. So obviously the big news of the day is that iPhone rolled out its umpteen cell phone models. I'm, I'm, I'm confused. X, S, X, R. I, anyway, I guess we're not calling it the iPhone 10 something now. It's now they're just calling it an X. So the iPhone X, which everybody was corrected and we were told it was actually the iPhone 10. I guess now we're just going to go with X. I'm not sure. I'm completely confused. But we're just talking really, 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 really expensive smartphones. And they're probably pretty nifty, but I got lost in the jargon. So I didn't read the stories today. Anyway, if you would like to see these stories, I'm pretty sure that if you go to WIBA.com, we've got some links to the unveiling of the new smartphones from Apple. I thought the Apple Watch Series 4 was more interesting, and I paid attention to that, but that's about it. All right. Actually, back to things that, that are important. Not that your new cell phone isn't important to you, but um, generally speaking, broadly important. Ira Melman from Federation for American Immigration Reform is standing by on the phone to talk about, I, I guess I shouldn't be shocked, but when I saw the number, Ira, I was pretty shocked. That we have identified 39 million social security numbers that have been stolen and used to create new identities for people in the country, either illegally or at least illegally creating identities. 
That's correct, because we do nothing to protect our identities here in this country. Uh, The system is just ripe for abuse, uh, and the Social Security Administration doesn't want to do anything about it. There's been a lot of pressure. I think it's mostly uh, because they don't want to do anything that would prevent illegal aliens from being able to live in the United States. But, you know, as you mentioned, it's not just illegal aliens. It's all sorts of other people who are using Social Security numbers to get access to credit, to do all sorts of things. And, you know, if you happen to be unlucky enough to be one of those 39 million people, it can just wreak havoc on your life. It turns people's lives inside out. Uh, You know, you've got the IRS coming down on you. Uh, You have to prove that you are not guilty. You know, unlike in other courts, you know, the you have no presumption of innocence. And, you know, there have been cases where, you know, that they've gone through this whole process and finally resolved the issue at the cost of many, many thousands of dollars that the people can't afford. And then they do nothing to the illegal aliens who stole the, the, the Social Security numbers and caused this havoc in the first place. The we don't have do we have data to break down on the age of the the people whose numbers have been stolen? Because my it happened to my husband so when he was filing his tax return. It came back because somebody had stolen his identity, had, had used, had already filed taxes using his social security number. Um, it was, it you know, somewhat easy to resolve. That's probably the simplest thing to have happen to you. Um, but as you say, <clears throat> if in fact you haven't paid your taxes, but somebody is registered under your social security number, suddenly you are liable for not having paid those taxes. But I'm wondering about young people who don't have credit, who now have credit because someone stole their identity and got a mortgage. Right, and it happens very often with children, you know, because children aren't in the labor market, or at least they shouldn't be, uh, and so somebody steals their Social Security number. It's obviously not being used for employment because, you know, the kid's in kindergarten, uh, and then when the kid gets to be, you know, 18 or 21, he or she finds out uh, that, you know, that they have this whole record that, you know, they never really had. So it affects people's lives in so many different ways, you know. Identity theft is one of the most difficult crimes that Americans have to deal with. It's just frustrating to have to deal with it. And it goes on, uh, you know, largely because you have a system that would rather protect illegal aliens than protect you and me. Yeah, because, right, it's a victimless crime. You've got the Social Security Administration knows who these people are. Is this true? Yes, absolutely. They know who they are, and they still do nothing about it because, you know, they claim that's not their job. They know who they are, and they do nothing about it. How about, hey, we know who they are. We're going to dispatch the names to local law enforcement, or we're going to dispatch the names to the people whose numbers have been stolen. Nothing. They just keep this information secret. Can you and I get our hands on this information? Uh, well, apparently not. Uh, but you're right. I mean, they don't even inform the people whose identities have been stolen. That, I mean, is, the, that is an absolute, I mean, that is a travesty. They don't even pick up the phone and say, hey, your identity has been stolen or your daughter's identity, your, your, your eight-week-old daughter's identity has already been stolen. Nothing. They don't, even, they don't even give you a heads up. You just find out the hard way. That's that's pretty much how it happens. And, you know, as I said, it, it can take years. It can take thousands and thousands of dollars in legal expenses to work this whole thing out. You're left holding the bag. You've got just endless aggravation. 
and the people who committed the crime, they have they suffer no consequence whatever. And that, you know, it, it's just outrageous that we have a system that works that way in order to protect people from being removed from the country that they yeah. shouldn't have been in in the first place. Or in, even, in order to even identify just how bad this problem is. If we're talking 39 million numbers, IRA, I mean, am I to conclude these are individual people, 39 million people? Or are these multiple people stealing multiple numbers? Uh, you know, because I thought be, it was eleven million, and now I'm hearing this number thirty-nine. Right, because it's not only illegal aliens who are doing this. As you know, it, it could be people who are just trying to get a mortgage and they don't have the credit, so you know they they'll take your number gotcha. and get the, their mortgage. So it isn't entirely uh, the fault of illegal aliens, but certainly. You know, the reluctance of the government to do something about it uh, has largely been to protect the people who are here illegally. It, it's, it, there was a, an Indianapolis TV uh, station did a report about this, and according to the IRS, the illegal alien who stole the guy's number was borrowing it. Uh, that was the term that they used. You know, he needed the Social Security number in order to work in this country, and he couldn't get one, so he borrowed. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Owed this other guy's. No, he paid a guy to steal it. This is something else important. To get these numbers, you go, to, you go through criminal enterprises to get these numbers. Some years ago, I remember hearing about a guy who had gotten busted. He was, he was uh, one of the Mexican drug uh, kingpins and was also running on the side an even more lucrative identity theft operation where he would provide aliens with Social Security numbers and, and photo identification. So we're talking about the people who are actually the ones trafficking in the numbers are criminals, Ira? They they're they're running in a in a cartel fashion. Right, uh, that's absolutely correct. We are enabling <laughs> these criminal cartels, and you know, in order to borrow something, I have to lend it to you. There is mm. you know some reciprocation here. Uh, you know, I, nobody is none of these thirty nine million people. I don't imagine has said, "Sure, go ahead and use my social security number." Uh, it, it is people who are just stealing them, whether they're doing it directly themselves or they're going through some criminal cartel. But the bottom line is that the 39 million people who've had their identity stolen can find themselves in deep trouble. You know, their credit ratings can be ruined. You have people who are doing this, you know, in addition to the illegal aliens, they go out and they, they get credit cards and then they run up huge bills. And, you know, as far as the credit card company is concerned, you're the one who owes them the money. And unlike if somebody, you know, steals your credit card number and then charges up a storm and your bank catches it, this is not something that typically happens because the card was was mailed out. It was sent out to this person based on, you know, the, you, the use of this number. So, so you've you got victims. You've got actual real victims who can suffer catastrophic financial distress 
because of this. You can use these numbers to sign up for benefits. You can use these numbers to sign up for health care. You can use these numbers for all kinds of different things. It's a whole bunch of different things you can say about this. Number one, we should probably go away from the Social Security number as a way to identify American citizens. I've been reading about blockchain. We should probably start investigating new technologies. Secondly, the Social Security Administration should be compelled. I would imagine Congress could do this or even President Trump could do this, could should be compelled to contact anybody whose identity was stolen. Third, recognize most of this is going through you know, pretty intense criminal enterprises and the larger enterprises are connected to the drug trafficking operations. Um, If you want to stop the drug traffickers, you might also want to cut off their spigot of social security numbers. Fourth, where are they getting access to these numbers in bulk? Ira, where, how do they get access to these numbers in bulk? Uh, How insecure are our systems that you can get access to these numbers in bulk? Right. I mean, if, we're going to, if this is the single most important document or number that you use throughout your life, we ought to have some pretty rigorous protections to make sure that it is used properly. And, you know, we, we simply don't do that. Uh, look, I mean, even if you just made up a Social Security number, uh, there are about 330 million people in this country. There are a, a billion different combinations. You have a one in three chance of coming up with a number that's already in use. So uh, we need to have some way to protect the the uh, identities and the interests of the people whose numbers are being stolen. Uh, there need to be, you know, we, we live in the 21st century here. You can include biometric information. Uh, you can do all sorts of things to protect the interests of these people, yeah. and yet the government doesn't do it. No, another thing to, important to point out is these idiot reporters who say, oh, he just borrowed the number because he really wanted a job. If you want a job and you want to file your taxes legally, you can apply to the IRS for an ITIN. You can apply to the IRS. People who come into this country on visas, they, they apply to the IRS and they get a special number that they can then use to file their taxes, get employment, all that kind of good stuff. So this idea that this poor schlub just needed the, you know, the number to get a job. Oh, you want to get a job legally? There's a way to do that. Get the number to, so the, to make sure that the IRS appropriately deals with you in, in a tax capacity. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, the guy taking your car. He said, well, I just borrowed it to, to go where I needed to go. Uh, no, you stole that car. You stole this Social Security number. Uh, you did it for you know, illegal reason. It is illegal for you to work in this country if you are an illegal alien. So you committed an illegal act in order to perpetrate another illegal act. Yeah, so there's, you know, and, and we're supposed to consider this victimless crimes. Who is dealing with this? Who is addressing this problem? This isn't the first time I've heard about identity theft. I didn't realize it was quite this massive. But is it Congress's responsibility to rein in the Social Security Administration's fecklessness? Or is it Trump's responsibility? I mean, who can finally say, you're going to pick up the phone and you're going to call these people? At the very least, never. It was the DOJ's responsibility. Well, the uh, the Obama administration discontinued the no-match letter so that, you know, if you came to an employer with a Social Security number that didn't match the information that you provide to the, provided to the employer, up until some point in the Obama administration, I can't remember exactly when, uh, the employer used to get a letter saying, you know, that this card was not, uh, the, the number is not associated with the person who is presenting it. Uh, they, they stopped that because they didn't really want to stop illegal aliens from living in this country. 
Uh, but the IRS, you know, needs to have, you know, again, that, that is under the uh, purview of the executive branch, but Congress can also write laws uh, specifying what it is that the IRS needs to do, what the Social Security Administration needs to do. Look, I mean, this goes way beyond just immigration. This goes to every aspect of life. Uh, you know, that's 40 million people who have representatives in Washington. Uh, and, you know, if you get enough of those people who are you know, pretty angry about it, as well they should be, you know, maybe Congress will finally do something. They don't do anything other than to collect their paychecks, apparently. They might as well do something about this. Yeah, and this, you would think, would be an easy one because identity theft is all the, I mean, ev- all anybody talks about. If you're not talking about politics, it's identity theft or opioids. That's what it's about, right? So, my gosh. Um, again, just to show you one more reason why you don't want the government to be in control of more aspects of your life than it already is right now. Good to have you, Ira. Thank you for coming on the show today. Thanks very much. From Federation for American Immigration Reform, that is Ira Melman. I will be right back. All right, Jimmy Cuska is in the studio now, filling in for Dave. Dave went to, what did he go, go? No, not golf. He's not golfing, is he? No, Badger's show. Badger's show. So Dave ducked out for the Badger's show. Jimmy is in. Jimmy was telling me that he's very proud of himself because his story, his sports story, made it on all of our radio stations across the country's web pages, right? Yes. So I reported on Sun Prairie football. What they do when a player makes a big play, they get a hot dog during the game. They're called hot dog heroes. Hot dog. The hot dog heroes story has gone viral. That's well, what you're not telling viral. me. It's just on our all of our our stations on our sites. But it yeah. was still. I mean, you know, our our web team thought it was cool enough to put on. You know, whatever the station is in Seattle, it's on their site too. Right. That's awesome. I love it. I also think that's kind of funny. I didn't realize that that coaches would do that. But yeah, you were it, telling me somebody else, some other team gave their. Some other coach gave their kids shots of maple syrup or something. Yeah, they had a bottle of maple syrup for pancake blocks, which I thought was hilarious. Do, 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 you, do you need to eat while you're playing? Is that a thing? Mm, I don't think so. I think it's just more for fun. It's just for fun. Okay, anyway, go check out that story on WIBA.com. And uh, it's it's um, it's a, it's supposed to be a fun story, a way to sort of get your mind off the seriousness of the day. Anyway, we're going to take a break. We'll come back with more seriousness of the day. I'll be right back. The views expressed on the following program are not necessarily the views of WIBA, its management sponsors or staff. Broadcasting live from Planet Madison, where everything is beyond parody. This is the Vicki McKenna Show. To be a part of the program, in Madison, call 321-1310. Statewide, call toll-free at 877-235-1310. Or email vicki at wiba.com. Now, here's Vicki McKenna. You know... In a couple of weeks, we're going to hear about how sales of the iPhone, whatever they're calling it, X, S, X, R, 10S, 10R, I'm not exactly sure how they're beating expectations or how the company, the now over trillion dollar valued company sold, I don't know, 30 million in a month. And they're slightly below expectations. And I, I, 
we're going to hear about that, and no one's going to say, because these are $1,000 phones. My goodness, the economy certainly must be going strong if people are already trading in their last $1,000 phone for their latest $1,000 phone. A thousand bucks. I I did it. I I bought the iPhone 10. Twelve hundred bucks. I bought the 128 gig version. It was twelve hundred dollars. I broke it up over you know a 24 30 month. I forget what it was, but yeah, um, when you're plunking down money and and when just regular Joes, I mean the the cheapest iPhone. The old, whatever they're going to sell now, cheaper, is probably going to be the 8. They'll probably be discounting that thing for $650. Like, you know, that's for the poor folks. Huh? When our economy is going well enough that most people are getting excited about buying new phones. um, Yeah, that's that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Not a bad thing. Um, I don't really know. I, I, they lost me. <laughs> the iPhone people, lo- I mean, Apple lost me. They lost me. I'm lost. I don't know what's better about this phone than the, than the already awesome phone that I have. And I doubt if anybody else will either. Anyway, I'm going to get to a story here that I wanted to touch on Monday, but didn't have a chance to. How, how bad is it? in terms of media bias, when reporters are stalking elected officials' kids to try to get dirt on them. I'm talking about a guy who works for Gannett named Keegan Kyle. He works for the Gannett newspaper organization. That's the USA Today Network, Gannett. Keegan Kyle, who friends, tries to friend Brad Schimmel's underage daughter on Facebook. I mean, now, now, it's, it, now it's not, it's, it's gone from just bias to creepy creeper bias. Now the reporters, and, and incidentally, nobody at Gannett would say this was wrong. Nobody would say, yeah, we're going to tell our reporters not to be creepy creepers and try to fe- friend elected officials underage kids on Facebook to dig up dirt on their mom or dad. We agree. That's a that's a, a bridge too far. That's one line we just don't think should be crossed. No. They wouldn't even admit that this was highly inappropriate it, 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 at the at the best. It's highly inappropriate. It's at the worst it's reporters being creepy creepers. I mean, this is creeper stuff here. This guy, a a reporter by the name of Keegan Kyle, who um, doesn't usually have nice things to say at all ever about Schimmel, is basically trolling his kid, hoping that this girl, this teenage girl, is going to do what some teenage girls do, and that's just accept friend requests. Presumably, I guess, so one of two things is going on. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. 
Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. This creepy guy, Kyle, uh, Keegan Kyle, wants to pull stuff off of Schimmel's daughter's Facebook page and use it to bash Schimmel. Or... Something else I could conclude that's far less flattering to this reporter, even though neither one of these things is flattering. Yeah. Um, RightWisconsin.com has this story today. And I was chatting with someone associated with Schimmel's campaign who said, yeah, we asked for a response. We asked for an apology. We asked to have this this behavior discontinued. We didn't get a response. We couldn't even get the Gannett News Service to say it was a it was bad practice. So that's how bad things have gotten, folks. Where a major news network organization like Annette thinks it's okay for its reporters to stalk elected officials underage kids on Facebook. Wow. I mean, that's crossing the Rubicon. That's over the rainbow. That's through the looking glass. It's bad. It's that bad. I'll be right back. Come to decide that the things that I tried were in my life. Hey, everybody. Say hi to Joel in the studio now. Joel. Oh, hey. Oh, hey. It's been a little while. How you doing? I'm doing well. Good. I've just been doing the morning thing so much recently. Yeah, it's weird I see. to be here. Haven't seen you in a while. Looks like you're getting ready for hunting season. Oh, with the beard? I'm yeah. assuming you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, pretty large. I'm actually going to shave it soon. Large beard. It's just run its course, you know? Okay. All right. I've, that's a little bit more... Um, philosophical about it than you've been in the past every beard has its own life cycle i found um <laughs> this one is in its winter stages i gotcha How's all right that? everybody well welcome back joel uh third producer in one hour okay um something that is that i was very surprised to see and i'm quite worried about i'm worried about it for personal reasons i'm worried about it for public health reasons and that is an announcement. I saw this in the Wall Street Journal and my phone was blowing up this morning um, because I am somebody who uses vaping products and I'm a huge proponent as, as it, of vaping as a, as a mechanism of harm reduction. Um, that the FDA under one Scott Gottlieb, um, the Trump appointee Scott Gottlieb that we were all so excited about, has announced that it is giving companies 60 days 60 days to come up with a plan on what to do about kids vaping or they are threatening to begin the process of banning flavors. Um, Greg Conley is on the phone with me right now from the American Vaping Association. I know that this probably I'm guessing you were surprised by this as well. But how bad is it? Well, this didn't come as a huge surprise because Commissioner Gottlieb month by month, has been moving more towards this approach. Less hope for harm reduction and more um, just fear-mongering 
about any experimentation by any youth being unacceptable. And unfortunately, he's now moving towards a position where thousands of small businesses all across America that are doing things the right way, that aren't selling to minors, that aren't using bad advertising, uh, they could be shut down uh, based purely on whether or not um, a large multinational tobacco company that sells e-cigarettes decides that they're going to change the way they market to satisfy Gottlieb. It's absolutely absurd. Yeah, so five companies are the ones that are now tasked with coming up with new marketing plans or at least a a, a, a set of um, objectives. And if it And if those five companies fail to satisfy one man at the FDA... All of these small little mom and pop shops, like my favorite ones, like my favorite one in Cambridge, Madtown Vapor, my favorite one in West Dallas, Vape 108, they could all be in the, in the business of, in the process of shutting down their business because they won't be able to sell flavors. Correct. And that is nuts. Because just because if Altria doesn't satisfy Gottlieb or Jewel doesn't satisfy Gottlieb, why should, you know, my favorite stores who are operating as small businesses, these are small businesses. Why should they be on the hook? They shouldn't. But you know who is happy about this announcement today? Stock analysts that track big tobacco. What you had today was uh, not surprising, but, but still shocking in many ways. You had in the immediate minutes and hours following this announcement, the stocks for British American Tobacco, Altria, Philip Morris International, they all went up. They all surged because the Wall Street analysts came back and said, you know what, anything that reduces the appeal of vaping products is going to help cigarette sales. Truly. I, I, I'm trying to figure this guy out, and I don't know. And, and I, I mean, I'm just, this makes zero sense. So this is based, based on a propaganda that says there is a youth epidemic of, of vaping. There is no such thing as an epidemic of vaping, even among adults. There is nothing that you could even describe as an epidemic. Epidemic, in fact, is just the wrong word. You use that for disease. Um, but there isn't an epidemic. The, the FDA is using a, a measuring stick. They're using, they're using ever-tried e-cigarettes as a, measurer, as a measurement for whether or not youth are vaping. If you've ever done it once in a month, you are considered um, somebody who is vaping. Yeah. yeah. And when you look, when you dig deeper into the data, you find that the vast majority of past month e-cigarette users are using one to two or three to five days a month. And they don't even own their own device. It's one student that has a device that uses it with five or six different people uh, one or two days a month. So you're not seeing this rampant addiction that's being portrayed in the media. And most of this uh, whole jewel crate has been based nothing more on anecdotes from school officials and health officials. Yes. And meanwhile, all the stories of the, the adults who have quit smoking with vaping, oh, they are just mere anecdotes. They don't count. You know, um, exactly. And we've and, and this. I thought Gottlieb was going to take a science-based approach. I thought he was going to take a harm reduction-based approach. But it looks like he's just falling in with the bureaucrats and the status quo and the tobacco companies because the tobacco companies love this. Four of the five companies that are supposed to come up with these plans, um, these vaping companies, are actually owned by big tobacco companies. And and they are delighted. 
In fact, that the tobacco stocks went up today. They're delighted that more investors are betting on cigarettes than are betting on people quitting cigarettes. They're delighted at that. They're delighted the FDA chief has essentially done the bidding of the tobacco companies who have seen their sales slog slog off a little bit, um, simply because more people are trying to quit smoking and using different devices to do that. They're, They're not unhappy about this. They're perfectly comfortable being regulated. And ultimately, I think this is important. Commissioner Gottlieb, I think, is most frightened of House or Senate Democrats having control uh, past January. Um, And he right now does not feel that any Republican leadership is going to hold his feet under the fire. But if you look at what happened, I believe, during the Clinton administration, um, or the Bush administration, rather, um, you had Democrats looking who had control of the House. Uh, looking for any way to investigate the Bush administration, and the FDA was an easy target. So I think Gottlieb has looked at past history and is terrified of what the uh, congressional hearings could be like for him if he's called before and has to take a couple days of bad media for daring to uh, push forward harm reduction. Yeah, most vaping is done by almost exclusively done by adults, um, almost exclusively by adults who previously had smoked cigarettes as a tool to not smoke cigarettes any longer. Um, and why is flavor important? Flavors are important because m- for, for the most part, the adults who do switch from smoking to vaping don't like the, quote, tobacco flavors. And by the way, how is tobacco not a flavor, Greg? Um, they don't like it. They prefer something else that doesn't remind them at all of cigarettes, be it, you know, watermelon or something like that. Um, and this is the excuse that the federal government is giving for regulating because people actually, adults like flavors, but flavors, are, I, I guess, you know, fruit flavors and candy flavors and cake flavors also appeal to kids. But kids really aren't, by and large, using this. You know, and I've been around so many kids. I've, I've been in groups of big, big groups of kids. You know how many times I've ever seen kids vaping? None. None. Yeah, the vast majority is experimentation. And it's not happening frequently, uh, but any past 30-day use, apparently, or even past year or ever in their lifetime use, is an excuse enough to take these products so out now, of the hands of adults. Yeah, and it's, by the way, the, the quote, let me give you the quote. Um, I've got the quote here from Gottlieb, which I thought was pretty extraordinary. Um, the quote is... We will not allow the current trends in youth access and use to continue, even if it means putting limits in place that reduce adult uptake of these products. you got to be kidding me. Based on, again, anecdotal evidence and no data, we are going to take these products out of the hands of the many tens of millions of adults who use them and, and use them successfully and use them continuously to not smoke cigarettes. How is that not a complete reversal of a commitment to public health? Because if, if people stop vaping, Greg, they'll smoke. That is the end result for many. Many will go to the black market instead. But Oh, I'll go to the black biggest, market. I won't smoke. I'll go to the black market if I have to. Yeah, the biggest threat is to the 36 million or so current smokers that aren't going to search out the black market. They're going to continue smoking. All right, well... Question: What is the next step here? What is you know what 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 do you do? What is you know how do how do people engage this process at all? Contact your legislators in the House and Senate. Ron Johnson, there in Wisconsin, was elected on a platform of uh, getting behind 
the vaping industry, so we really need some tough questions to be asked to Commissioner Gottlieb about whether or not this is a complete abandonment of his uh, plan for harm reduction. Uh, and make your voice heard. Letters to the editors, uh, different things like that will communicate your voice about how this issue oh, is. Oh, I, I would absolutely. I would, you know, I would contact Ron Johnson directly. His constituent services people are very good. Um, in, in that, be it a phone call, it's probably easier as an email. Um, but I would do that immediately if this is something you care about and if public health is something you care about and, you know, clean air is something you care about and, you know, more more lung capacity is something you care about. And maybe you've got a, a friend who smokes and you'd like them to quit someday, but they've tried everything and they can't figure out what works for them. Maybe they try this and it works for them. If you care about that person, please email Ron Johnson. Um, I've been texting Ron Johnson about this and he was out. He was out of the country. Uh, so this took him by surprise as well. But um, let him know that you care. Otherwise, he's going to conclude that there isn't much of a constituency out there. Greg Conley, thanks very much. I'm I'm quite distressed. I mean, I'm I'm distressed, sort of in the aggregate. I'm I'll be fine, Greg, and I bet you you will be too. We'll we'll find the workaround to this, you and I. We'll find our products. I'd like to go to the local store. I'd rather not order from overseas. But, you know, I'm not going to smoke. Thanks for coming on the show today. We'll be right back. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family vdw group no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus Honest to God, I don't know why I, I don't know why this is such a I, I don't know why this is a big deal. I don't know why people quitting smoking using vaping is a big deal. I don't understand the problem. There is not an epidemic of children using this. They're not jeweling. That's a that's a word that some activist group planted in a press release so that local news organizations could have some filler. This is not some kind of epidemic that's going on. These are expensive. The, the inserts that go into jewels are expensive. There's a, a, a thousand ways to vape cheaper than that. Um, stores are not selling to minors. They're carting people. I get carted and I'm 50. So I, it's just, it's very frustrating. I, th- I had high hopes for Gottlieb. Uh, and he has been a, a grave disappointment since he has become a swamp creature. And it's just started, and he knows better. And he's just started to mouth propaganda. Um, propaganda he knows is propaganda. And it's, it's dangerous. It could actually, you know, substan- do, do substantial harm. I will just go on the Chinese websites and order my stuff. Um, it'll just take me longer to get it. Maybe I'll make my own. I'll DIY it. But... I don't know why I should have to. It's dangerous to DIY your own juice. 
It's stupid. But, um, you know, I'll be careful. Anyway, because the alternative is smoking cigarettes. And that's just, I don't, uh, I hope Donald Trump has a sit down with Scott Gottlieb and says, you got to knock this crap off. Or at least if he doesn't, Ron Johnson will. Um, all right. Um, we have Mark Morano standing by from Climate Depot. I wanted to talk about this because it's now official. I think the Democrats will say anything, anything, literally anything at this point. If they think the media will pick up on it and they can use it to bash Trump and the media will believe anything and will and will promote anything that the Democrats say. Here we go. Hurricane Florence is Donald Trump's fault. Donald Trump caused Hurricane Florence. Mark Morano, I, I mean, they're pretty much saying that today, that Hurricane Florence is the result of Donald Trump's inaction to protect the climate. Actually, they're not pretty much saying it, Vicki. They are saying it. The Washington Post actually gives two reasons, and the actual word is Donald Trump is complicit in Hurricane Florence. And the reason are two things. He's gotten public awareness uh, the seriousness of climate change by calling it a hoax and not taking it seriously, our guard is down. And secondly, he's eliminating the climate protections that were so ardently put forth by President Obama, the EPA, the UN Paris Agreement. See, the implication here is these treaties, and this is hearkening back to medieval witchcraft, these treaties and, and regulations would have made this storm much, much less severe. So we'd only have a Category 2 storm if Donald Trump had only followed in the footsteps of President Obama. Now, I'm not joking. (laughs) It's the headline at my site. Actually, I linked to Tony Heller's Real Climate Site. There's incredible analysis of all the stuff. Actually, hurricanes are way down. But here's the kicker. The same media that cannot give President Trump an ounce of credit for a booming economy, this is the holdover from Obama, will now say that he's responsible for a single hurricane. Now, they'll blame him for a hurricane, but they won't credit him for a booming economy. Yep. That gets, Obama gets credit for that. I'll make, let's make it fair. Let's blame Obama for this hurricane. <laughs> We're going to do that. Well, yeah. Let's First off, as you point out, hurricanes are down. You know, we do have hurricanes. We have them every year. They are down. Florence made landfall at Category 3, not Category 5. The other day I heard about Category 6, Mark. It doesn't exist. But the media people were talking about Category 6. I mean, Florence is no worse than, than some of the other bad hurricanes that we've had. But they were talking about category, we were going to have to come up with a new category for hurricanes, category six, because climate change is going to cause these hurricanes to be so severe, it makes landfall at a category three. Yeah, this is, this. first of all, the category six, actually, that's in the, my lead article at Climate Depot today. It goes back, I believe, the 1980s, they were hyping. And Al Gore hyped it a few years later. Never happened, never existed, no reason for this. There's no indication that we'd ever go to a category six. But what they do, and it's just pure, I almost said the word, I guess I'll say the word, evil. This is Chris Mooney, the Washington Post. He's an activist. He wrote the book called The Republican War on Science. He's, he's literally like hiring any, I mean, a Greenpeace activist to write your newsletter, but the Washington Post uses him to write, you know, a science or climate articles. But what, he, what he's done and what they do, they pile on. When a storm's coming and people are scared and people that live in the hurricane zone are evacuating, they're worried about their house property. They nail these recycled stories that say, you think this is bad because of our inaction on climate. We're looking at a category six. This is the new normal. Get ready for this. 
they pile it on like and yep. Joe Bastardi, the meteorologist, calls them climate ambulance chasers. Oh, we well, are hearing that about the floods in the Midwest as well. We were hearing the exact same yeah. thing. Get ready for the new normal. Lake levels will be high. Flooding will be the new normal. Uh, they, why? Because Donald Trump has rolled back climate protections. So, so a couple of things. I want to point this out to make sure everybody understands. The Paris Climate Accord was nothing more than a wealth redistribution scheme from the U.S. Yeah. economy to other nations. It had nothing to do with climate. It had nothing to do with temperature. It had nothing to do with anything except us tithing from our economy to uh, nations that are, are polluters, polluter nations. The idea, according to the Paris Climate Accord, is, well, they'd use the money we give them to improve the pollution conditions in their country. But they had they were under no obligation to do anything whatsoever. So it had nothing to do with climate. And there were no obligations by any of the countries who were going to get our money to do anything. Second, second, Scott or, or um, uh, Pruitt and Wheeler at the EPA have not done anything about global warming. All they have done is said, if you're going to use science to to get the EPA to regulate business and regulate the economy, we get to see it. That's what they've done. Otherwise, they've really not done anything regarding climate. No, and again, that implies that doing something about climate would actually impact the weather Correct. or even our emissions. Or even our emissions. That's what's shocking. The U.N. Paris Agreement... We're doing better than the countries that are still in it in terms of our emissions. It's just, I, I mean, my headline is a picture of witches. Um, and that's what I believe is this is witchcraft to blame storms on politicians, to blame storms and the lack of legislation that would have prevented bad weather. There's no other way they deserve no more respect than to talk about witchcraft when you talk about this. Now, and, and we were talking about the climate ambulance stations. Just think if a, a loved one had cancer and you're in the, you know, on their deathbed in the hospital and they allowed in uh, you know, cancer treatment quacks who would come in there and say, cancer is getting a lot worse, we have the solution. Because that's basically what these climate activists and the politicians are selling, is that the weather's getting worse and we have the solution. We need to do this legislation. We need to do this climate pact. We need to do this with the EPA. And imagine they come in and they just hit families right at the most vulnerable. We can save people. We can save your families. You need to buy this, you know, snake oil sales. I mean, this is the level that they're at. I, I think you're right, but let's let's keep the metaphor on point here. This would be like yeah. those 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 hustlers coming in and saying, "We have the cure for your loved one's cancer," and the doctor saying, "That's crack. That's crackpot stuff. That's you know, that's snake oil." I'm not. No, no, we're not going to do that. And your loved one dies, and you sue the doctor because he wouldn't allow you to give your your loved one the snake oil. And that's that's what it is. It's oh my gosh, it's the person who is who is basically rejecting the use of our regulatory scheme and we're blaming that person because bad things happen yes and that's and again this is the 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 belief in superstition now the reason i bring up the chris mooney he wrote the proposal one time the washington post has a war on science to write that number one and they have a war on human decency to start recycling a discredited, scientifically completely invalid, where, I mean, meteorologists, the meteorologists who study hurricanes just ridicule this idea of the Category 6, but they bring it up right now when they know everyone's scared of this hurricane. It's, it's evil. It's just, it's nonsense. I mean, this is, this is how they function. This is how they do it. Uh, and it's not just the Washington Post. I mean, we have, I think it was National Geographic, Rolling Stone, 
whole bunch of other mainstream media publications. This is what global warming looks like. This is the normal. This is what we would expect. And if the storm stalls, oh my gosh, that is because it's stalling because of this blocking event, these high pressure, and that's due to climate change too. And that's why we're going to have more rain than we otherwise would have had. Meanwhile, hurricanes are down, and yeah, everything, every metric you can look at with hurricanes, they're declining. But it doesn't matter because because of climate change, they're worse than they would have been otherwise. Right, you know, and you and can, there's no way you can prove, and, and you can't yeah. prove they wouldn't be because you can't. You you only get one hurricane. Hair, even even like Rogaine for hair loss, they'll do the before and after, and they'll say, well, it doesn't even look that impressive. Yeah, but had they not used it, they would have lost a lot more hair than they did. <laughs> it helps you keep your hair. Well, how do you prove something like that? You know, it's this is this again. I bring up the snake oil. This is what they've been selling. They have a million different metrics. You always got to be suspicious when the people selling something are that into it and that opportunistic and that aggressive. Uh, if, you know, and then, yeah, this is where, yeah, again, it's only going to get worse in the coming days here. It's just going to, you know, this is going to be known as the Trump hurricane, the one that he caused, and that, yeah, the, because of our inaction on climate, et cetera. Et cetera. Yeah, we've gone, this is, this takes Trump derangement syndrome to a whole new level. <laughs> it really does. It really does. <laughs> Although they did try to bra- blame Hurricane Katrina on George W. Bush. You remember that? They also tried to blame the flu epidemic on George W. Bush as well. Yeah. I was reading an article about the 70% chance that we are going to experience El Nino conditions um, for the winter, which may mean that we have a late start to winter and we don't have as much snow as we might have without an El Nino, 70% chance. The article, this is a local news article, Mark. It, be, it, it goes about two paragraphs before it starts saying, well, because of climate change, we are going to have all kinds of different weather conditions and this is the new normal. They, they start talking about high water levels. And, different weather. There's nothing, I mean, it's just so, and even like some of the articles are more honest. They'll say, like AP, they'll say, there's seem, you know, there seems to be blah, blah, blah. No, this right anecdotal stuff, and they know there's no science to back it up, but they just say it because it must be true. It's in the AP style book that everything's blamed on global warming. And, and I, you know, again, it's not working as far as the public, but I, I got to, you know, I got to bring us down the reality of one political reality that really bugs me. The Trump administration has zero pushback on any of this. In fact, as they deregulate, they get bashed and attacked, and there's this crickets chirping. And it's really sad. I mean, I've recently met with high-level EPA uh, people, and there's just zero interest, intent to ever change that. They want no controversy on climate. They want to avoid it. So my fear is, much like after Ronald Reagan's first term, going in further into a Trump administration, I think we've seen all the dazzle and the substance we're going to see on deregulating climate. I think we're going to see now are a bunch of yeah, – I've got to be very careful with my words here – a bunch of cabinet officials – Everyone trying to essentially avoid controversy and coast through another term, uh, you know, especially when it comes to the hot button issue of climate. It's particularly when it comes. Yeah, to climate. we need and we need about climate and we need a challenge climate. to the to the CO two declaration of the endangerment finding. And I don't think we're going to get that. I just I think it's already you can just see the stuff coming out of the EPA. There were words about the social cost of carbon dioxide that they let come in. They basically replaced Obama's energy clean power plan with this thing they're calling the ACE, which is essentially Obama light, very much lighter, but it doesn't do anything long-term because the next president can just crank it right back up. So it's not they're not getting rid of it. And as you mentioned, they have to go after the source of it, which is the Supreme Court ruling, the endangerment finding. 
but they don't have the stomach for it. And obviously, President Trump. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Would support it, but he's very busy right now. So what I'm saying, and, and you know, I'll, I'll say this cryptically, just take a look at some of the interviews of what's coming out of EPA. It's very non-confrontational. The most shocking thing said to me in private is, wow, we're getting along much better. The environmentalists realize we're not the evil empire. And I, and I actually said to the EPA official, I said, that's not a good thing. You want, if, if the environmentalists don't think of you as evil empire, you're not doing you're, yeah, well, That's not good news at all. And that's, I'm just telling you, that's, you're hearing it here first, Vicky. I'm breaking news on your radio station. I hope you're wrong, Mark. I'm getting very disappointed by what I'm seeing going forward here. Please read now, Mark's... There might be a lot of good things. There's a lot of good direction and everything, since we, but there's not... I guess what I'm saying is I'm here. Let me let me clarify further. What Trump's EPA is doing now is not taking advantage of this opportunity to try to go further. Instead, they're just sort of doing what they can now. After Pruitt, they saw what happened to Pruitt. So what they did against Pruitt actually yeah. worked. It terrified someone from trying to be that aggressive again, they're... and it worked because now they're not aggressive anymore. And they're doing good things, but I just question the permanency of anything they're doing if they're not building for the big. The big ticket item, like endangerment finding. And even the UN Paris Agreement outside of the EPA, that's not EPA regulation, but EPA jurisdiction. But you know, they're not they're not getting us out of the UN framework, which means the next president, even Al Gore, every interview, Al Gore has actually brilliantly been telling people we're not out. You know, the next election, the next presidential election, it's not till, we're not officially out till after the next presidential election. So, you know, I, you, I've been the biggest cheerleader of Donald Trump, but I, I just hate to see what I'm seeing now. It's the media campaign against Pruitt working. It's the, it's the second termism or you know, end of first term coming, and I'm, I'm getting worried. Please go to ClimateDepot.com, and Mark's book is The Politically Incorrect Guide to Climate Change. Mark Morano, the author. You depress me, man. Thanks for being on the show, though. <laughs> well, I guess it's probably I shouldn't be at all. I should stop going to these and just... Yeah. <laughs> just have a beer yeah, instead. Just, uh, hey, Mark. Yeah, yeah, I just... I, Thanks a ton, man. I appreciate it. We'll be right back. Well, I color me disappointed. Now, Mark has a tendency to forget that we're coming up on the end of a break, you know, and launch into Chapter 2. But he did want me to pass along that he said, listen, the EPA is, is orders of magnitude better than it was previously, but nobody wants to rock the boat anymore. After they saw what happened to Scott Pruitt, everybody's just trying to play it bland and and try to get away with doing as little as possible. Well, that's a problem because we need actual science. We need, we need the science on the CO2 endangerment finding because there wasn't science. There was assertion by the EPA before the United States Supreme Court that gave the United States Supreme Court an indication it could give the EPA authority to regulate CO2 as a pollutant. The, the court was not presented with abundant science. And so what, what, needs to happen is an order for the actual studies to be done. We need actual transparent science. And the worry is we're not going to get that because Andrew Wheeler and his underlings are fearing what happened to Scott Pruitt. So when you combine these things, this today, 
what Morano was saying, with what we're learning about FDA Chief Scott Gottlieb, who knows better? He knows better than to just simply sell the propaganda of big tobacco in the form of of hand wringing over jewel. He knows better than that, but he's still doing it. Why? Probably because he saw what happened to Scott Pruitt. And Scott Pruitt was always meant to be a lesson. The left used him as a lesson, and apparently the, the swamp creatures in the Trump administration have learned that lesson. We'll be right back. The views expressed on the following program are not necessarily the views of WIBA, its management sponsors or staff. Broadcasting live from Planet Madison, where everything is beyond parody. This is the Vicki McKenna Show. To be a part of the program, in Madison, call 321-1310. Statewide, call toll-free at 877-235-1310. Or email vicki at wiba.com. Now, here's Vicki McKenna. Back to the program. I'm going to read a quote from a report put out by Tony Evers called Leading for Equity Opportunities for State Education Chiefs. Tony Evers was the president of that organization, and this was the statement from this report by Tony Evers quote, Funding programs for disadvantaged students may require hiring fewer school school officers slash security guards whose benefits are outweighed by a negative influence on school culture and equity and disproportionate consequences for students of color and instead dedicate those resources toward hiring school counselors, mental and behavioral health workers and nurses. Tony Evers is is with Freedom Inc. in Madison to get the school safety officers out of the schools, claiming that the negative influence on school culture and equity outweighs any benefit that a school safety ERO would have on the school environment. David Blaska, uh, davidblaska.com, on the program to talk about all of these things. How you doing, Dave? Good to have you back, by the way. Yeah, uh, it is good to be back. It really is. And the weather is just beautiful here today, by the way. Beautiful riding weather. Uh, very nice. Crisp and clear. Crisp and clear fall and, and no riding rain. weather. And no rain. Uh, all yeah. right. So let's let's start with that quote, which is Tony Evers, the DPI, Superintendent of the Department of right, Public Instruction. Right. Yeah. He's the he's the king of schools. Well, I would think he's also would, would know his English language pretty well and would be, therefore be not prone to misspeaking. Precisely. One would assume he's an educated enough man to not misspeak. Um, seems to think educational resource officers are problems. In, is, is their impact on, quote, school culture disproportionately affects people of color in schools, David? That sounds like a really nice blander way to say F the police. Get police out of our schools, which is what Freedom Inc., the radical um, separatist group, wants in Madison. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I've been readmitted to next door. I'm trying not to screw it up this time. 
So I'm choosing my words very carefully. Uh, Nextdoor being a social media site uh, for neighborhoods, and I, we've got about, I think, eight neighborhoods involved, everything from Nakoma to Medawood to Prairie Hills to Midvale Heights. I think even Allied Drive is in there um, and parts of Fitchburg. So, so there's a nice debate on, on school resource officers, and one fellow weighs in and says, I agree with Blaska, but he has a tendency to politicize things too much, which may be true. But I would I counter by saying, I'm sorry if I do that, but you find the Democrat who is going to stick up for school resource officers. I'm still waiting for that first elected official other than Paul Skidmore, who's no Republican, by the way. Uh, I don't know what he is, to be honest, but uh, politically. But, but the, the, there's only one elected official in Madison. I'm talking school board. I'm talking city council. I'm talking county board. I'm talking legislature. Uh, you name it, who stood up for police in schools. But our neighbors are doing so, but not elected officials. And apparently now, not a candidate for governor. In, in, in the elected officials, the political class of Democrats needs to commit to supporting educational resource officers. So, you know, with all due respect to your, to your guy on next door who wishes Blaska just wouldn't politicize it so much, um, it, 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 there's a political component to this because the Madison School Board is going to decide whether or not school resource officers stay in the schools or not. Because the candidate running for governor thinks that educational resource officers and school security officers are problematic to the culture of schools. If educational resource officers are in schools and and dealing with students, they're dealing with students in two one of two ways. They're dealing with students in a way that helps students understand the rules and, and makes them feel as if they're in a safe environment, or they're dealing with students by removing them because they are causing problems. There's only two ways these educational resource officers, particularly in Madison, deal with students, either in a friendly, hey, these are the rules ways, let me help you, possibly in a mentor sort of way, or they're removing students who are acting badly. Here's an example of students acting badly. A police officer friend of mine today email, or texts me and says, just so you know, fight involving five to seven students today at West High School. School administrator tried to break it up and was punched and spit on. Minor injury. Three students went to jail. Those are the kinds of things that educational resource officers deal with, David. And if not for the EROs, then it's a phone call to MPD, right. then it's full dispatch, and yeah. then it's police descending on a school without knowing really what's going on inside the, the, the walls and having to be that much more aggressive. Well, and not only that, but this idea that crime stops at the schoolhouse door is, is rather mistaken, if not absolutely naive uh, and Pollyannish. Uh, you know, and, and Chief Colval a week ago, he... Uh, he kind of vented a little bit. He said basically his his people, his officers, are tired of seeing the same kids being arrested for the same stolen automobiles. Uh, and uh, <laughs> some of them actually mock the police. They're, they're wearing the GPS monitoring devices. They're basically saying, well, what's the worst that could happen to me? I mean, they're back out in the streets. They're still doing what they're doing. And they laugh at the cops. I mean, that's, Well, yeah, these kids who went to jail are going to be back in school tomorrow or the next day, and that's going to be that. And maybe they have a, you know, a notice to appear in, before a juvenile judge who will hand down some kind of restorative justice. They'll probably have to sit in the principal's office and have the principal say, no, you're not supposed to do that. And they'll right. nod their heads and right. they'll go back and they'll do the exact same thing because there are no consequences. Well, and as we heard from 
uh, a teacher at one of the middle schools, uh, Sherman Middle School. Uh, a lot of these restorative justices, justice uh, programs amount to unsupervised study hall. Yeah. That's not that's not a program. You stick them in a room and basically I gotta go and now I'll get be back in five minutes. You know. So we're not even we're not actually even discussing an important thing and that is the implementation of the restorative justice um, program, which has right. which has pr- produced chaos. We're not even talking about that. We're just trying to get people to understand the importance of keeping four police officers available right. who have knowledge of what is going on um, available to school administrators so that they can deal with problems that crop up like five to seven students attacking in a, you know, a school administrator, spitting and punching the guy. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 I do think that the police department ought to, to publicize these things in a more proactive way because, uh, you know, and there's a, a lady at the last uh, school board meeting uh, followed me speaking, and she, uh, you know, she basically said they, they called the cops on this girl. For what? Because she wouldn't put her cell phone away, and she became upset, quote, unquote. And that's what she got from an all-school email to parents. Now, the all-school email, I mean, she, her version is third-hand. Third the person that wrote the email second-hand. I got to think that the school board, the school district, tends to underplay some of the incidents. They don't give you the well, blow-by-blow. Blow. here's something else. You're them. not calling because the discipline procedures that were implemented due to the guidance from the Obama administration that essentially shut down strict and harsher discipline um, strongly discourage calling the police in the first place. Right, they do. So it is... It is not only highly unlikely, it is 100% impossible that a girl was arrested by police for becoming upset when told to put her cell phone away. That is 100% impossible. You can. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Parse the word upset uh, probably from now until the cows come home uh, because it can mean anything from... Uh, Doing a slow burn to, uh, you know, maybe going a little bit Parkland, Florida. Yeah, upset. Yeah, um, she may have been upset by swinging a, a, a tube sock filled with padlocks well, at someone who told uh, her to put her cell phone that's away. What, that's what I'm hearing. And that's assault. Yeah. Not becoming upset. Yeah. And, and being arrested for becoming upset. Right. This is the nonsense we're talking about. And I agree with you. I think the police should put out a report on every incident Right. Because the schools aren't doing it, Dave. That no, your point no, about the no, all-school no, email right. is this soft-souled, you know, soft focus. Somebody became upset, and we had to call the police. You know, that's that's what the schools will do to try to make parents think that everything's okay. And that, that school email, by the way, did not mention race. I'll bet dollars to donuts. I'll bet dollars to donuts. You're 100 percent correct. We'll be right back. David and I were just chatting during the commercial break the about how ridiculous this has all become. Where just saying, hey, it's common sense to, to want EROs in the schools. That's racist. And so 
the press is so cowed, David, um, by the accusations of racism. They're, they're, I mean, th- that's all they will ever, that's the only bait they will ever take. It's the cheese that they'll always grab. Mm. And th- th- they're not reporting on other significant problems in the schools. We can't even get the press to just make a common sense statement that, the ma- how about this, the majority of Madison parents support educational resource officers the majority of teachers support because these are these are factual statements the majority of teachers support educational resource officers they can't even do something that simple no because the majority has ruled too long and they've oppressed the minority too long if i had my druthers next to that sign that says no on the schoolhouse door that says no aclu beyond this point i would also ban any Entity that takes government money now on the feds and on the state side, you know, attention uh, Scott Walker and attention Ron Johnson. I would ban the collection of data by race because, after all, what is race? And I call that the Rachel uh, Dolezal rule. You know, if you identify as something or other, call it the Elizabeth Warren rule. Yeah, Elizabeth Warren Elizabeth rule. Warren yeah, rule. absolutely. Yeah, I mean, what what good does it do? What what is the point uh, of, of identifying by race? You can have multimillionaire uh, black people, Native American, you know, Hispanic, and there are. So, what what is the point of doing that? It's, it's unless you say that they they are discriminating because of race, and that. I want to see the I want to see the lawsuit that makes that claim. Yeah, and, prove it and in the court. ACLU would have filed the lawsuit. Absolutely, had EEOC there been is an, waiting as you know the, the operators are standing by. The ACLU is can't find that information, so they're out threatening to sue Kenosha Unified because they are enforcing a no yoga pants rule in the school dress code. I kid you not. If the ACLU could yeah. find evidence yeah. that disciplinary procedures were motivated by racism. Is there a disparate impact on these yoga pants? I would I would think that they're they, claiming they, that that it's sexist because women wear yoga pants and so enforcing well, a ban on yeah. yoga pants is ah. Yes, they're claiming it's overtly ah. sexist. So the ACLU certainly would probably prefer a case that wasn't as absurd right. as a yoga pants case. Right, but their their lawyers need work. And Trust me, they have looked for the evidence. They have gone through the data. They have sifted it. They have winnowed it. And they cannot make an actual claim of racism or race-based discrimination on anything that they're looking at in the Milwaukee schools or the Madison schools. They're not here. So crying racism every single time a liberal policy is challenged by common sense has got to stop, but the media won't stop, Dave, because the accusation of racism is so potent and so right. powerful is, yeah. that you can't even get them to say something common sense like most parents want these resource officers, most teachers. And let Freedom Inc. say, well, most parents are white or most teachers are white. Let them make those absurd claims. But we, so, so we, something as simple as EROs, it's a mountain to climb. My yeah, God, how are you going to climb the mountain yeah. of the discipline procedures? Yeah, you know, and, and How are you going to climb the mountain of the achievement cap? And they've been, you know, they've been on the attack since day one. That's the whole thing, and and, and that's a good strategy. I got to admit, because it makes people like you and I, Vicky, and so many parents have to play defense on on common sense things. My God, now we got to, you know, we have to. And they, you know, well, you've got Tony Evers. The Department of Public Instruction is yeah, basically yeah, giving yeah. them giving them permission not to ever do anything meaningful. Well, you know, it would be one thing if he had solved the achievement gap right after how many years in office. I mean, ten, it, almost ten years. The, the 
schoolhouse is his domain. He's got that. That's his little bailiwick. Uh, let's show something here. Instead, what they did is they dumbed down the, you know, they used to have a, a failed school district thing. Now they've, they've, uh, they've complicated the formula so much where nobody where fails. They've thrown, yeah, right. Yeah, nobody fails is right. That's what you know, it comes down to. How they did it uh, is even a little bit beyond my pay grade, but they, they factored in poverty and they did a whole bunch of other things in order to uh, make the numbers work, which yeah, is so, by the way, what education is all about these days, in, by the way. In, in, um, in the DPI ratings on meets expectations include schools that have zero students, zero students, not, not I mean, think about this. Say they have 500 students in the school, zero, not a single one of them is reading or doing math at grade level, fail, zero percent proficiency. And under Tony Evers' redefinition of what meets expectations, he says, well, we've got a, a huge number of them are in poverty or, uh, you know, 90 percent of them are minority race. And so, therefore, zero of those children reading and doing math at grade level is meets expectations. Right. How is that not racist? And it is not only racist, but it also removes an important uh, uh, incentive to improve those schools. If you say they're not failing, it's like the doctor, you come in and you've got, you know, you're bleeding and the doctor says, you're okay. You look fine to me because, you know, there's too many of you people coming in bleeding. I've got to say some of you are fine and you don't get treated. Yes, because too many people are coming in bleeding and somebody's calculating statistics on people coming in bleeding. Therefore, we're just going to redefine bleeding is not bleeding. Right. That's because the schools are bleeding. Right. And yeah, yeah. the achievement gap is yeah. a reflection yeah. of a lack of success in, I mean, the people who run educational policy, it's not the conservatives. It's not Scott Walker in the Republican legislature. No, there no. are no, there are no conservatives with any power in Madison, Wisconsin. DPI is not replete with Betsy DeVos style conservatives. No, no, exactly. Maybe there's a couple, but they don't ever telegraph <laughs> what their political beliefs are, and they never rock the boat. Yeah, they're they're uh, they're hunkered down. Well, the other thing is too. Uh, ask if Tony Evers is a proponent of. School choice, and the answer would be no. no. That'd be a multiple choice question, yes or no, or I don't know. Multiple choice, uh, I, and make sure you put the pencil mark in there very tight. And yet, in Milwaukee alone, twenty-eight thousand students, almost as many parents, have chosen choice schools. So I mean, and hopefully the. Scott Walker or someone, or maybe even the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel will connect those dots. And they're not, by the way, those twenty-eight thousand kids whose parents chose to escape. To, to escape the school system, their kids aren't in schools that have zero students reading or doing math at grade level. They are in schools that have substantially higher rates of graduation than right, the MPS. Right, right. Um, Madison, dare never try this. But those parents who took their kids and escaped the trap of failing schools have given their kids a chance to succeed. There's one school, the highest performing school, that takes almost exclusively low-income kids from broken homes and, and shattered zip codes, um, has nine, a 90% graduation rate. And of the students who graduate, nearly 100% of them go on to a two- or four-year college or go into the military. Yeah, isn't that something? Yeah. Almost all of them are black or Hispanic. Didn't they realize they had a good excuse to fail? They had a perfect excuse to fail. They just didn't accept the excuse to fail. 
failure was not an option. We'll be right back. And welcome back to the program. Sorry, while Dave and I, we were in the middle of the news break ranting about education, and then somehow we got on the subject of tequila. I don't know how. Um, but I will put this out to the listeners, because maybe you can answer the question. Um, and I can't remember the name of the fellow who gave me this bottle of homemade cask-made, cask-distilled tequila. He made it in his house. And it was so smooth, you could sip it. It had a slightly sweet finish, and when you poured it over ice, it would the, the crackling of the ice would actually release more sugar. And it was absolutely divine. But Dave and I are trying to figure out the kind of agave you would have to use, and, and is there anything in the, in the stores that would, that would sort of mimic that? It had sort of a... I don't, just a slight sweetness to it that made it. It yeah. was super, super smooth. There was no throat kick or anything like. It was just you could just oh, it sip be it. Yeah, if it's uh, I like the silver. Just sip you know, it. The, the, it was clear. Age, yeah. Not, I don't. You know. And I can't remember the, the man the made it in his house, yeah. and he brought me a bottle. I remember it was sitting in Esquire Club, and he yeah. and he swung by the um, Esquire Club, and he brought me this bottle, uh. and I and I didn't drink it for months, and then I, I I opened it up one day, and I thought we were you know I we thought well we'll mix it and uh, we'll mix it. Uh, or we'll do shots, and uh, and I thought to taste it before I I served it, and I realized how smooth it was, and I just thought it was just so wrong to yeah. put it in something else, right. and so it was so good. I, I think yeah, that's that's the way to drink it. It's just a little bit on ice straight. It's uh, but it's got to be good. It's got it can't yeah. be this it can't be the stuff you put in the it in has, the mixers. It has to be one hundred percent agave. Anyway. start with that, and you're and you should be fine. So you, you I know they've got a lot of bourbon fans in the audience who send me all kinds of advice on best bourbons. Any to any good tequila fans? You know, I, I don't want the advice. I want the bourbons. Yeah, and just well, send the bourbons. <laughs> and we'll, we'll take it from there. All right, back to education we go. Um, you were you've been going back and forth on this social media network, um, network called Next Door. Yeah, and it's typically getting it, it's a way to connect neighbors together in in limited neighborhood areas. And you know, folks are saying, "Well, Blaska, what what is the solution that the conservatives have for schools?" And so the conservatives have come up with some ideas, um, but it but it begins with decentralizing the control of power from bureaucrats who believe in one size fits all education and and believe that children should be lab rats and in decentralizing that so that there's more individual control and more involvement by parents. A lot of conservatives I've, I've heard also want to go back to a direct instruction, sort of more basic way of teaching kids. Um, a lot of conservatives are enthusiastic fans of independent charter schools and school choice that use these sort of traditional models of education to great success. David, I might point out, St. Marcus School in Milwaukee right. is a- almost exclusively low income and almost exclusively black and Hispanic. The Noble Network, uh, the Gary Comer College Prep School oh, is absolutely. almost ex- is, is yeah, exclusively right. low income, exclusively disadvantaged, exclusively black and Hispanic. And they have amazing results. The entire state of New Orleans, since uh, you know Hurricane Katrina has gone to, it was a chance to blow up because the schools were basically you know inundated to blow up the old system, and so the entire school district now is charters, and 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 the results have been amazing. But all of them have one thing in common, and that is discipline. And I still remember it's one of my favorite stories when Clean Care was trying to get 
uh, in, the, in the Urban League was trying to get Madison Prep going. They brought up a similar school from Chicago, and the young men, all of color, had uh, blazers and nicely pressed slacks, and they were just so well-spoken. And the dean of students said, I discipline hard, he said, but I love harder. If you don't love, you don't discipline. If there's, that's why you discipline, because you want to see those people succeed. All those schools that you mentioned have one thing in common, not only just discipline, but high expectations. High, absolutely. They don't say, you're, you're disadvantaged, you can't learn. Right. They don't say... You've got so many excuses. They don't, they that, don't yeah. as Tony Evers did, they don't redefine failure as meeting expectation. That is not meeting expectation. And that is, there's an old, there's an old cliche, uh, the soft bigotry of low expectations. That's what you've got. And I would say it's not terribly soft. It's just plain... When you, when you conclude that... For whatever reason, and I may, and may, I don't, you know, I, mean, I don't think it's true. I don't buy into this. But let's just say there is systemic racism. Okay, let's just say that there's all kinds of white privilege, and you know, and and you know, young people of color carry around an individual, you know, privilege knapsack. You know, whatever you want to use, whatever. Let's just say if that's true then why do you accept failure? Why, why wouldn't you try, instead of, instead of creating the conditions where everybody fails, how does that salve your white privilege or make you feel better if you believe in institutional racism to, to never see the people you claim to have harmed with your white privilege succeed? This is not success. To shut down discipline, to throw EROs out of the schools, to accept failure as meeting expectations, to do that is not, is, it, it's not you making amends for your privilege. It's you, it's you excusing it and continuing to accept misery and failure. There will never be better if everybody fails at the same rate. That does not make the outcomes of young, poor, black, and Hispanic people better. Now, now, Vicki, you are imposing your middle-class values on other people, and I say good for you. Yes, and here's another thing. That's another thing those schools have in common. The imposition of middle-class values. Middle-class values of, work. of delayed gratification, of expe- higher expectations, of discipline, of understanding you work toward a goal, of setting challenges for yourself, of having self-respect and respect of the institution working and respect of your elders. Working with others. Working with others. Yes. Yeah. Those middle-class values... Right. Are, I mean, the middle class values, the middle class adopted these values so that the middle class could succeed and compete with what? A higher level of class stratification in America. Middle class, you know, middle class people didn't just say, I think we'll create middle class values so that we can be smug white people who impose our privilege on other people. No, right. they created this set of, of, of norms for themselves so they could be successful, raise families, and hopefully their families would do better than they did so that their families potentially could now compete with people of higher income or maybe even find themselves in the strata of higher income and and better expectations for their family and generational wealth. We actually, yes, and, and I will say this too, just to pile on here a little bit. Poverty does not cause crime. Crime causes poverty. When you commit a crime, you've, you've ruined your chances at employment. You're, you're increasing the risk of being thrown out of school. Uh, you, you, 
bad things start to happen when you commit crime. And if, if we can keep people, but this is you know the ad hoc committee at Madison School Board on EROs, educational resource officers, AKA police, actually at the, in one of their last meetings passed a resolution that they would require the police not to enforce Madison ordinances. Now I don't know how a Madison City Police cannot enforce Madison City ordinances in a school that's located in the city of Madison. I don't know how that can be a, a no-fly zone on city ordinances. It can't. I, I don't know how, you, how a school board can carve that out. In, in any event, those city ordinances are, in most cases, mimic statutory criminal misdemeanors, with one big exception. There's no jail time attached to it. There's just a, a monetary fine. So if if you get an ordinance, uh, if you get an ordinance citation, they're actually cutting you a break, rather. Than yeah. That. So I mean, this it's just this kind of idiocy, and I'm sitting there saying, you know, I want to raise my hand and say, people, you know, some somebody on there has got to know this. Now, Pop, out of twelve people, someone's got to know that. Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty actually took a look at at behavior in the schools and what's going on, and and the you know whether discipline was meted out uh, with racism in mind, and found that in fact the 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 kids who are getting disciplined the most are kids who would be classified as under the federal poverty line. So poverty. But the, well, we're not talking about kids getting disciplined the most whose parents are considered working poor, above the poverty line, but below um, abundance. Mm-hmm. So the working poor kids in that particular income classification um, were, were adopting middle class values. But below the federal poverty line, there wasn't any appreciation of middle class values, of respect for the rule of law or authority. And it had nothing to do with race, but it had to do with that condition. So if I'm somebody who wants to figure out how to improve conditions in the schools, I absolutely think poverty is a component to figuring that out. But you have to figure out the condition of poverty we are talking about here. And we are talking about federally defined and government program supported poverty. And so what is it about these programs that have changed the appreciation? Because the poor in, the working poor in America before there was a welfare system were still attempting to emulate a certain set of, of civil conditions that would allow them to eventually con- su- succeed. Yeah, and, Since and, the imposition of poverty programs, true. Right. what has happened to that appreciation of that value system? Well, we've subsidized poverty. We've subsidized poverty and we've actually, we've actually changed the character and the, and the acceptable behavior of people defined as poor. Because it's an entitlement and you feel like I've got this coming to me because of something that happened And if you criticize ago. this group of people, though, David, you just don't like poor people. No. We want poor people to like- adopt a set of behaviors that allow them to escape poverty. I don't like poverty. I don't either. And I'll tell you something else. I try to if avoid kids, it where possible. If they're kids, they're talking about kids here. Maybe you can't convince the adults to adopt a set of standards. But a place where that where you can impact the future generations is in the schools. Yeah. If the schools recognize their role. Hang on one second. We'll be right back. I'm going to have a question, Dave. Um, where are the audits of these programs' successes or failures? Where's the audit of the success or failure of 
um, EITC or food stamps or whatever? Where is the audit of restorative justice? Where is the audit of connected math and whole language? Where are the Where is the audit of all of these alternatives to incarceration programs? How are you doing? How do you know if it's working? You You don't. Yeah, you know. In fact, uh, the, the Dane County Board tonight has a public hearing on on the budget. I, I'm half. You know, I should go. They ought to do an audit, and I, you know, I, one of my pride and joys is I started the program audit pro, uh, for Dane County. You know, the state legislature has had it for years. They they look at a program, five years down the road, is it doing what we we thought it would do for the kind of money they were spending or not? Do that for restorative justice. Is, is, are, there was an article in the Capital Times today, but as far as I could tell, a quick read, it only quoted two people. One, the, the guy that runs it, and, and some other guy at the university basically said, you know, well, the idea is good. You know, that's why we should be doing this. Because well, we like the idea. Yeah. Does it work? It might sound nice, but does it work? Know. And I, I would think that they would want to know this. And by the way, so they did the OIR audit, which it was an audit. Of, which is of the, the police, police force. Of the police department. OIR being the, the firm that they hired out of Berkeley, California. They, they audited the police force. They actually, one of their findings was that teachers, school personnel, reluctant to call, to bring the, the ERO officer in, creates worse problems. The fight gets bigger. More people get hurt. And then that's one of the things they found. <laughs> so, I mean, was, that's the only time EROs were, were addressed in that, in the audit, from what I can remember. I, you know, but sense. it was an audit. It was an audit that was constrained, that was handcuffed, but By it was way, still an audit. It was yeah. an awful, awful expensive audit. As you can actually as, do audits for much cheaper yes. than what the and, city paid for and that. As long as we're on that, and that one single recommendation is yet to be implemented. Now, you know. I think they're trying to. There's a committee that's, you know, trying to, you know, the, you know, it's been quite a while since we've talked about that, but it's they're still talking about it in the city. Well, you know, in the discipline program, or rather the um, the non-discipline program, the restorative program that the city of Madison, the of the Madison School District implemented, um, that the teachers, you know, seventy percent, seventy four percent of teachers. Um, in the first year, I thought it was an absolute unmitigated disaster, and I suspect that the number hasn't changed much. Right. Um, good point. The answer, without auditing anything, without even having a good idea of how to implement the program, the, the superintendent blamed the teachers yeah, yeah. for not being smart enough to understand how to do it. More training. More training. <laughs> yeah. And so we got more training, and then some, quote, ha- part-time assistants to assist in the implementation, yeah. and it still hasn't worked, right. still haven't audited the program. We Nobody even did a comprehensive study as to how, why not at least just test test it, test it on a small segment, see if it can be scaled up. This is what normal people do before you use, you don't use the entire school system as, as your laboratory to test your, your you know, virtual signaling. In the meantime, the Karen these are quitting. Yeah, and now you've got teachers quitting. Teachers near retirement are retiring. Teachers, and it's not because of Scott Walker. Teachers oh, who... This, Karen Veith was nowhere near retirement. Yeah, who are not even near and retirement was, are saying it's too dangerous to go to school. Honored by your own district, too. So it wasn't a case of, you know, uh, so, get out while you, while you can. Uh, but you don't do that. We have a legislative audit bureau right. in state government. Right. We, and and it, it, that's not enough. But at least the state can call upon, any state legislator can call upon the Audit Bureau to yeah. audit something, right. anything, audit DOT, audit whatever. Any legislator can do that. The city of Madison, 
the county board, the city, the uh, Madison Metropolitan School District can do the same thing if they want to know the answer to the question. Absolutely. If they're not if, afraid, if they want to know. If they want to ask, if they're not afraid to ask if the question in the first place. Know. If yeah. they want to know. And then why don't they want to know? It might make it might make you feel bad that you didn't solve the sin of white privilege. It might make you feel bad that all your virtue signaling has done nothing more than created more problems. The Dane County Board has its official policy that it will look at everything through the lens of racial equity. That's a direct quote. Those are the words they use. I mean, when, when everything you see is race, everything you do is race. And, and that's, the, that's the problem. If you, instead of looking for achievement, instead of looking for results, if you look at race, that's all you'll get. So if you're, not, if you're, if you're looking at everything through the lens of racial equity, then how does it improve the conditions of, of underprivileged, poor black and brown students in the Madison schools to create chaos in the classrooms and to accept zero proficiency as meeting expectations? How does that, how does that comport with the lens of racial equity? White privilege liberals? How does that, how, how do you explain that? Huh? Anyway, we're out of time, David. Thanks for coming on the program today. It's good to have you back. It's good to be back. All right, folks, have a great night. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.